Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. And now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Well, good morning. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to uh, B-Sides. Today we are in Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. And I... uh, Fun fun fact uh, of I'm drinking bone broth this morning. I had coffee earlier, and I want I'm going to switch it up on you. So if anyone else is drinking bone broth, which I doubt, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> so I was a little tricky uh, on Sunday. Uh, you thought we were having a study in Matthew, and really we were still in Revelation. <laughs> so. Uh, today, instead of going through Matthew 22 and 23, uh, because there was so much, uh, we just, so much left unsaid. Um, instead of going through that, because I am starting home group and we're going through Matthew, so I'll get there. Uh, but today, for today's purposes, I'd like to unpack uh, further Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. And even though it's only one verse and I unpacked it a, a good bit, you know, su- some bit Sunday, uh, there's still some some pretty cool things that I think we can um, glean from here. Um, verse, you know, let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you for all that you've provided and all that you're doing and all that you're about to do. Be with our study. Let it be pleasing to you. Let it be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I was, uh, let, let's read, let's read verse 13 here. Uh, then I looked and I heard an eagle crying. Uh, and, in, and in Revelation 4, we see four creatures around the throne of God. Uh, and of course, in, in Revelation 4, starting in verse 7, it says, The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man and the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. Well, when we when we got to chapter chapter six, we, we see the opening of the seals, uh, the first four seals, and after they were opened, the living creatures, in order, uh, called out to both horse and rider. If you remember that, uh, in chapter six, we had the seven seals, and they were calling out one by one. Um, horse and rider, the first four seals specifically. Well, likewise, we are in the fourth trumpet, and now we see an eagle. And this clearly is corresponding, at least to me, clearly, uh, corresponding to the fourth cherub with the face of an eagle. So we saw four cherub listed in a certain order. Then we saw in the seals that the four cherub were calling out horse and rider in order and now we're at the trumpets and and again it makes sense that the cherub are involved and we see the fourth cherub is an eagle and now we see at the fourth trumpet an eagle is involved so this very clearly to me seems to be the fourth cherub now two 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 thoughts here on eagles first i want to i want to pull from um contextual studies which i think is really helpful uh, when reading the Bible, you have to understand when, whenever you're reading scripture, and this really also applies to prophecy, and a lot of people disagree with this, uh, but this is this is how I interpret things. 
I believe when God gives um, when God gives a prophecy, when God gives a word, all, all through the Bible, that it makes the most sense to the people who first heard, received it. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, David, David, you know, we, we see in the Bible that even the people in the Old Testament longed to unravel the mystery. So there's a sense that Jesus was a great fulfillment of these things, okay? Of course, prophecy can grow in understanding over time. But I really believe that when Jesus gives a word to a people, when the Father gives a word to a people, it makes sense to them in their culture, in their time. And for, you know, in, in the case of Revelation, if if none of this book made sense until microchips and, and you know, uh, our healthcare system in America, then for 2,000 years this hasn't made any sense. I just don't think God works that way. So I think contextual studies when reading the Bible really help us understand it better. Um, now, Kostyer, he, he's a he's an old he's a he's a scholar who's really specializes in contextual uh, work. He, he points this out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read what he says here. In the Greco-Roman world, the eagle, the eagle was regarded as a revealer of the divine will. Ancient sources say that along with heavy tr heavenly trumpets, earthquakes, and showers of blood, warnings of disaster were given by birds. The eagle was associated with Zeus and was thought to be one of heaven's surest messengers. What I find interesting is when, when God wants to communicate with Israel, all through the Bible, think about it, doesn't he often send angels? We see that with the story of Zechariah. We see that with the story of Mary. We see that with the story uh, with the pronouncement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds in the field. We read uh, in the scripture that the Torah was delivered by angels. All through the Old Testament, we have the angel of the Lord who appears. So when God wants to communicate with uh, the Jewish people, he typically would send an angel. Not always, typically. Um, that's one of the things that make the burning bush so spectacular, because it was God himself. Well, when God wants to communicate with the church, he often sends either, he either sends Jesus, which we of course have the four gospel, and Paul seems to have been taught by Jesus himself, uh, we have, uh, and then, of course, when God wants to communicate with us, he sends us his spirit. Uh, of course, Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday was yesterday. Uh, and then and then even today, we see God sends people who are filled with his spirit. So when God wants to communicate, not with the Jewish people, but with the church, he sends himself. Well, here, these woes are directed to who? The unsaved world. And the image that God uses here is that of an eagle. So something the, the ancient unsaved world would both re respect and recognize was the sign of an eagle. So God is communicating with the pagans, with the Gentiles, in a way that they would understand. Koster goes on to say, Romans sometimes tried to discern the divine will uh, by the mo a movement or position of an eagle, and especially whether it flew or called from the right or the left of the viewer. So... Let me frame this. Eagles in the ancient Gentile world were considered messengers from Zeus. And these ancient people, when they saw an eagle in flight, they took notice of where it was coming from and where it was going. And this was, uh, th this was a, a clue to how to discern the message. But Revelation here adds a really cool detail that we don't want to skip 
and, and specifically, this eagle flies directly overhead. There's, there's no left or right or where it's flying. It directly is just hovering overhead. There, there is no clues as to where these woes are going to come from. But point being, there is no adequate prepping for these woes until they have arrived. You're not going to look at this eagle and discern how to prepare for the incoming judgment. It is upon you. There's no, there's no discerning it and prepping for it. Secondly, eagles, I think we should note, are predators. Their flying overhead is also a sign that death is coming or is, is, is already there, you know, if they find a, a something to scavenge. Uh, Jesus on this, uh, in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, he's speaking of the end times and he goes through in darkness and he runs through so much of what we've already seen in Revelation. And he says in Matthew 24, 28, wherever the corpse is, there the vulture, that word can also mean eagle, will gather. Now, obviously, there's a lot of uh, a death already in Revelation, but this eagle in Revelation is announcing woes, that even more death is coming. So uh, that, that seems to be what this eagle is symbolizing, that the predator is here, the death is coming. Verse 13. Oh, man. So good. Then I looked and heard an eagle crying out with a loud voice. Now this word for loud voice in the Greek can also mean great or large or intense. Uh, and I just did a quick count here. This isn't, I wouldn't I wouldn't put this in a commentary or anything, so I could be off. But I just did a quick count as I went through the book of Revelation in Greek. Uh, and I, I, I saw that the book of Revelation uses this word for uh, for loud. It's, it's megas uh, over 80 times. So 80 times in this book, we get megas. Uh, megas. And, and, the, and the point is, is that John, as he's recording these things for us, he, he keeps seeing and hearing so many large, loud, intense, big things that around 80 times he writes this word. There was a Magos voice. There is a Magos mountain. There is a Magos. He keeps writing Magos. If Magos mountain is one, I don't know. I'm just, as an example. Um, so he keeps writing. He keeps writing all these things uh, loud, large, intense. Uh, and so point being, this cherub is loud. And this book is filled with a lot of big, intense, loud things. Verse 13. <clears throat> and when I looked, I heard an eagle crying out with a loud voice, Magos, as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. At the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now we must first point out, we're done our reading, we must first point out the obvious. That the word woe is not used once. The word woe is not used twice, but is used three times. I, I, I've shared this before, so I don't want to go into great detail, but we can't miss it. That when the Bible, when a biblical author wanted to emphasize, to communicate that something was important, they would repeat a word. Uh, remember, 
when Jesus often in his ministry, he would open a uh, a message or a saying with the sentence, uh, he would open it with, truly, truly, I say to you. This is how Jesus would emphasize to some of his teachings that, hey, what I'm about to tell you is really important. It's true, true. Please pay attention. Uh, in the life of Abraham, if we look to the Old Testament, Abraham was moments away from sacrificing his son Isaac, and God calls out, uh, calls out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. He does the same thing to the Apostle Paul. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? This doubling of the word added great emphasis in the Hebrew language. But but every once in a while, and, and this carried into the Greek, but every once in a while, very rarely in Scripture, very rarely we see a three. Something lifted to the thrice degree, to the to the highest degree, uh, as Sproul would say, to the superlative degree. And here, in today's text, we have a three. And so these woes are lifted, lifted to, to the highest high that it could go. And so as we read these woes over the next few chapters, we have to understand that they are deeply, deeply important. <laughs> this is why I wanted to do a proper introduction on Sunday, uh, a proper introduction to them, because this is very, very important. As you look at the whole of scriptures, this triplication is telling us, pay attention. Now, the second thing we want to understand is what this word woe means. The word woe in the Greek can mean a few different things. It can be a call to attention. It can be used as a threat. It can mean judgment is coming. It can be a curse, and, and specifically a curse of horror. Dread is coming upon you. And here in Revelation, it is a curse. Horror is coming. And the horror coming to the unbelieving world is not just horror, but horror, horror, horror. An afterworld that has been burned and bloodied and fired and frozen as we've seen already in the seals and the trumpets. We are, the eagle declares that the worst is yet to come. And not just the worst, but the worst, worst, worst is yet to come. And so, to close with a, with a thought here on verse 13, uh, think about God's warning here today in both Sunday's text, Matthew and Revelation. Uh, I'd like to share something really helpful with you. So I thought it might be really wise to end this uh, B-side here with just something very, very practical. Um. <clears throat> When you read the Bible, and I, this goes without saying, you all know this, um, but, but even if you can encourage others in this, God's people need to be reading God's word. Jesus said, he who loves me keeps my commandments. How do you show you love God if you don't know his commandments? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We, we need... God's people need, the, the, not, not shouldn't, need to read God's Word. Now, when we read God's Word, okay, let's get to that point. Please be on guard. <laughs> 
and make sure that you're not reading all of the because I've just walked through with too many people through this. Please be on guard and make sure that you're not reading all of the positive things in Scripture like they pertain to you and all the negative things and all of the warnings and all the woes like they pertain to everyone else. <laughs> you ever known anyone like that? Maybe you, I think we're all guilty of this sometimes. You read of a villain and go, oh, I know someone just like that. Uh, but but there's, a, there's a bad habit Christians can get into where they read the Bible about everyone else and never about themselves. It's really easy for Christians to read some passages and see the specks in everyone else's eye, but completely miss the log in their own. And so here's a tip from your pastor. Don't read the Bible looking for everyone else's sins. If Jesus is giving a warning in the Bible, yes, he is warning a specific group of people, and it's not wrong to recognize that. And if Jesus is giving a warning in the Bible, yes, he's, he, he is warning a specific group of pe people, and he is also warning the people in your life that act just like those people. If we see uh, a, a harsh rebuke against uh, uh, lust in Scripture, and we have someone in our life who who is given over to lust, we can, we can correlate that and go, my God, do you see the warnings here for you? You, you? you have to let go of your sexual sin, of, of course. But be aware there's also warning for you. Even the prophecies and the stories of the judgment of evil all throughout the Bible can serve as cautionary tales to the righteous. And on Sunday in Matthew, we saw Jesus' frustration with the Pharisees who, who, who became like little pharaohs. But the reality is, and, and this is what we have to, we have to be so aware of this at all times. Uh, at the, the reality is there's also little Pharisees and pharaohs inside of every single one of us. Just dying to break out. And so when we read of these warnings, we need to really take them to heart and internalize them and use them as things to keep ourselves on guard. And at times repent where we need to repent, which means turning from a certain lifestyle. And we need to have grace with people. You know, one of the things I see a lot is sometimes we can give strangers so much more grace than we can give our own families. We need grace with people. We need to show mercy to people. We need to be forgiving. And above all, we need to make sure that we're living the word before we expect it from anyone else. And that's where the Pharisees had failed in a very large way. They expected everyone else to, to be a certain way, but they didn't hold that standard for themselves inwardly, which allowed them to do pretty bad things outwardly. The author of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Bible, the word, is a sword that cuts. And it first needs to cut us <laughs> before we wield it to cut anyone else. And so over the coming weeks, you know, this very much has been an introduction into the woes. 
uh, over the coming weeks as we look at the woes of Revelation. We, we need to make sure we don't miss the cautionary aspects of them to us. That yes, these woes are directed at others, but if we would walk away from the Lord, if we would reject and deny the Lord, we too could come under judgment. You know, John talks about this in First John. He says, because they won out from us, they are not of us. There's a way, of course, you know, I, I do believe in one saved, always saved, but there's a sense that you can prove whether you're saved by your fruit. You know a good tree by its fruit. You know, there's a sense where people appear saved. We see that in the parable of the sower. It looks like it takes fruit. It looks like it's going to grow. But because of the worries of the world, they fall away. We, we have to be very sure. It's not that we can lose our salvation. We cannot lose our salvation. But we can prove that we're not saved if we reject our king at last. And so this is one of the things we need to make sure that we don't come under the judgment by walking away from our Lord, by denying our faith. So we need to, we need to hold fast to these cautionary tales and make sure we don't, we don't sit, stand, or move with, with the wicked, Psalm 1, that we, that we become as trees planted by living waters, that we root ourselves in Christ, in the Word. And as we, we see, we, we, we see in the book of Revelation the, the way things can get, how people can hold on to idols, as we're going to see in chapter 9. We have to make sure that we don't point the finger and throw stones. We also have to go, okay, God, do not let this become me. Don't let me become so puffed up, so finger-pointing. Don't let me f make fault-finding a virtue. <laughs> it's not. We have to make sure that we trust wholly and totally upon the Lord. Uh, and use these things as warnings for the church. So with that, uh, let's let's close in prayer. I love you guys. I miss you. I'm drinking bone broth. <laughs> uh, anyways, hugs. Let's pray. God, we love you. We we praise you. We thank you. We ask that you would. We ask that you would guide us and direct us. And your word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. God. Let us read it, and let us read it well. Let us not come up with our interpretation of your word, God. Give us your interpretation of your word. Let us use the Bible to understand the Bible. Let us use your spirit to discern. And God, we ask that where we are neglectful, where we are given to hypocrisy, where we are reading and finding everyone else's faults and not our own God. We ask that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would break us of our really nasty habits. Please, God, make us new, transform us, renew us. In Jesus' name, we love you. Be with the needs of the church here. Be with those who are sick, who are struggling. Be be with us, God, in a profound way. And God, I ask for a special blessing upon Calvary, Baltimore. God, that you would give us shalom, peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Let not our minds be given to anxiousness and worry and depression. But let us, let us fully enjoy you freely as children. Give us a breakthrough on this. In Jesus' name, amen.
I love you guys so much. Uh, I'll see you Sunday. See you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.